Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. everybody welcome to this week's episode of salute the songbird i'm your host maggie rose and this week like the last few episodes i'm coming to you from the road so you might hear a little background noise but we're so happy to be out here we're so thrilled to be seeing all of you at our shows i can't believe i'm about to say this but i am speaking on this episode with the legendary melissa etheridge our conversation gets deep very quickly we discuss the loss of her son dealing with her own illness, the challenges of being a parent. We discuss the importance of acceptance and being able to talk about loss. She's so wonderfully warm and open about it. I was dealing with some tragedy of my own and I just felt like it was a godsend that she was the person I was sitting across from. We talk about the research she's doing with Etheridge Foundation, a nonprofit she started to help people who are grappling with pain and addiction. Melissa explains her approach to performing without ego but with confidence, and I've seen her put that to power. She shares her story about being discovered by Chris Blackwell, the founder of Island Records, who signed Melissa after everyone had passed her over, and his commitment to allowing Melissa to stay true to herself. I told Melissa about how she got me to a place where I could find my voice by singing covers of her songs as a teenager while backed by one of the best and hardest working bands, the B Street Band, the longest running Bruce Springsteen tribute band out there. We talk about her approach to songwriting and some of the unexpected fan favorites. 
Now she's also working to change the ratio in the music industry. This episode is full of wisdom and positivity. She is a ray of light, still leading the way for the rest of us. Here's my conversation with the one and only Melissa Etheridge. You've made so much space for so many people in your life. I feel like you're really kind to new artists. You are very generous with your experiences. Um, kind of just to jump right in, I, uh, I'm dealing with some tragedy right now and trying to support people I love very much who are going through some tough time and some loss. And just in researching you and listening to your interviews, it's been extremely therapeutic to me just to hear about your attitude and your perspective on, on life and death and the fact that life is for the living. And if it's not too personal, just your generosity with your experience and your loss of Beckett. You are amazing. You are amazing. Thank you for, it takes courageous people to have this conversation because um, it, for too long, um, loss has been something that we, we, we just, we don't talk about, we all do it. The, the, the key to life, the, the whole reason for life is to live as long as you can and get to the finish line. And, and, and somehow people think, you know, uh, people aren't going to die, mm -hmm. but, um, we all die. So let's, let's all kind of agree that that's, that's something maybe we can all agree on that we're all going to die eventually. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and then, and then when you come back from that, when, when you live 60 years, like, like almost 61 now, like I have, you see a lot of loss and you start to think, okay, loss is not shameful. Loss is not failure. Loss is a key part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. So can we walk through our life with its joys and triumphs, but also with its losses and get just as much learning just as much wisdom and comfort from it as we do anything else. And I, I'm, I'm actually working on a book and, and I'll sit and, and look at my wife and go, Oh my God, I've done a lot. Yes, <laughs> you, know, you have. <laughs> I'm exhausted. So, so, but you know, I, I've, I've been through a, a health crisis mm -hmm. and then I've been through, uh, you know, children having, I've been through children in, you know, let's start there. Being a parent is is uh, is a whole nother uh, path in life mm -hmm. about uh, about learning about oneself. You know, all the things that we blamed on our on our parents. You know, oh my my miserableness in my early twenties was because my mother didn't love me enough. Yeah, my mother was very cold. Not didn't give that. But but I'm making my choices now. Right. That was a situation. So if, if I'm going to believe that my problems are my mother's fault, then I have to believe that my son's problems are my fault. And I don't think that's true. So letting go of the pain of, of what I believed about my own mother, my own family, letting go. Okay. Yeah. That was the situation I was born in. I came through, I learned a lot. Now I have children of my own and I see how I'm, making choices every day, you know, and, and these uh, human choices 
affect how your children feel, but they still make their own choices. So having a, a troubled son, you know, seeing the choices he was starting to make in his late teen years, seeing his choices about pain and how to get out of it. He was a snowboarder. He was you know, working out with the Aspen snowboard team. He was, he, he loved it. And he broke his ankle and it, it, it broke his heart and his spirit. And he made a choice to go into despair. He made a choice to stay there. He made a choice that the opioids that the doctor gave him for that pain in that moment, he looked to them to turn off from disappointment instead of going through it. And that's a choice. And there are lots of people who every day come up against that. Do I, do I go through despair? Or do I make a different choice about myself and my life? And our lives, are that's all our lives are every day is choosing between love and fear. First of all, giving your children autonomy is empowering them to be themselves. So with that autonomy also comes the reality that you have to unburden yourself from that guilt and, and shame and thinking and projecting yourself on everything that our kids do. I mean, even the great things they do, that's narcissistic. Yeah, so exactly. we can, it goes both ways. Yeah, right. So any guilt and shame is going to make you sick mm -hmm. and you can't get sick enough to make someone you love well. The best thing a human being, a woman can do is to take care of herself, to find her happiness, her health, her joy. Because when you are that light, that is the only thing that can change a person is being drawn to your light and why you have it and being an inspiration. You can be in spirit and then be with their spirit, you know, that namaste thing. Right. You can connect that way. And that is the only way you can't save them. You can't make the choices for them. And sometimes they make bad choices and we lose them. That happens. That happens a lot. We need to talk more about that. Right. And of course, death is inevitable, but all these choices that you're talking about are, are not, I mean, they, they can dictate so much about probably your, your process in dealing with your own illness with breast cancer. I mean, there's a whole mentality that I do think does mitigate the struggle a little bit and maybe even the physical outcome of that battle. Yeah. When I was, when I was a child in the sixties and seventies, uh, any illness was treated as that's something wrong. Right. You know, and old people would die sooner. You were old when you, I mean, you were old when you were 60 right. and you were going to die soon, you know? Yeah. And, and, and anybody like my grandmother had cancer, but we didn't talk about it. We didn't say the, the C word at all. And so it was so shameful back then. Like it was shameful to get a disease when now we are understanding we have the science, we have so much research that tells us that the things we think and feel affect our bodies, that there is a direct connection between those things. And there is just more and more healing minded people that are finding that. And, and, and there's more resources for that now. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I know you've always been, not always, but especially more recently vocal about 
changing legislation in plant-based psychotropics and destigmatizing this idea that there are alternatives. There's not this reefer madness out there. <laughs> There's been such a long journey of Western medicine, the, the, the kind of medicine we know now, this sort, the, the medicine is called allopathic medicine. It's, uh, uh, I have a symptom and here's a pill, here's something outside of the body, a pill, a chemical, something that's going to fix what's wrong inside the body. That's an allopathic mindset. That's only been around for about 100 years. Now, modern medicine, last 100, 140 years, has brought us great things, you know, penicillin. Awesome. Uh, if, if I get my leg cut off, they can sew it back on and it'll work. That's mm. amazing. But the thought that any of our degenerative diseases, all of our degenerative diseases, cancer, uh, heart disease, they, they come from a breakdown in, in, of weakened parts of the body. That part uh, is the beginning of these degenerative diseases they are they are symptoms my cancer was a symptom of my heartbreak of my fear of my unhappiness and and what that does to a human body now plant medicine and um the uh you know eastern philosophy medicines have been around for thousands of years thousands of years mm -hmm. and just just a hundred years ago, uh, cannabis was legal, was a legal medicine that was being used, especially in South America, in your in your uh, in your Latin American uh, countries. It was a medicine and and many herbs and all these things that when you start hearing about, you know, herbs and medicine and women's intuition, then, oh, the, that's who they made witches. This the criminalization and this thought that was really hard sell put into us over the last hundred years is that all this plant medicine it is horrible stuff and any sort of trying to make your your mind your consciousness healthier better to have any more control over your mind was was evil and horrible work is one of the reasons why i i'm doing so much research the ethics foundation into uh plant medicines nature-based uh medicines is that the medicines themselves have been around so long, are so proven, and our bodies are are made to work with them. Right. And, and that we've been sold this thing, and so many people are, are in prison for using this medicine makes me crazy. And then capitalism, of course, we can go into capitalism and, and how that the that and the allopathic medicine of oh, something out there is gonna make me feel better or kill my pain here. We've learned how to turn off this receptor so you don't feel any pain the reason you're feeling pain is still there and so it's going to express itself somewhere else and you're going to get addicted to not being in pain it's our society changing the way it thinks is we we have to change hearts and minds there's going to be people that are afraid of it and that's just the way it is I believe i heard a quote from you saying that it's a civil right for us to yes. be able to, yes. And I, I, it just was such a light bulb when you said that, because you're talking about being wholehearted and, and exploring our own consciousness. And even that, even if you're not dealing with pain. There, there are cities, there are places now that have legalized uh, the use of psilocybin for medical purposes mm -hmm. and the results that we are getting. And, and, and what these people do, they go in and they go into a, a 
a, a really nice, quiet, warm room. And they put eye things on and they listen to a certain kind of music and they take a mild psilocybin journey. They do it with with, you know, terminal cancer patients, patients mm -hmm. that they've said, you know, you're going to die any minute now. And it brings them so much relief, sometimes elongating their departure, you know, right. to giving them more time because because all of a sudden they have this relief. And to think that that we've put people in prison for that is like, oh. yeah, the Etheridge Foundation is funding research so we can pull out and say, look, we've got data. Here's research on this, that this is helping. I mean, I have a friend in mind right now who is 99% of her life completely sober, straight ed, but she experienced a really traumatic event and had a guided ayahuasca trip a year or so ago and just to help her process this trauma and it was it was life-changing there's something some connectivity that she felt with you know the physical earth and with just the energy all around us and i can't speak to the experience myself I haven't been through it yet but it was there's something to be said for having just unbearable grief all of a sudden be somewhat manageable because of this part of your brain or a passage it's opened or it feels like a really big missed opportunity well there is a a knowledge a wisdom a knowing a gnosis that comes in a journey of of one's life sometimes from plant medicines people get it from other uh, you can get it from meditation you can you know there's, there's many from an all of a sudden life or death situation where you where you all of a sudden have an understanding a common one is through plant medicine mm -hmm. and there are different types and i have journeyed on almost all of them yeah <laughs> and and i will tell you that all of them they have the same basic message they have the same basic knowing that you come back with you can't come back with all of it it's Sometimes it's 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 just this download of the way the whole world is interconnected that you can't come back with. You can come back with the just the feeling, the knowing the that will change everything that we are all infinite, that that's that there's something inside us. There's some thing that we call soul or spirit or the thing that's animating our meat suits. Yeah. Has a has a certain infinite quality to it it it's it goes on forever that can change well well if if death isn't like i'm dead and then it's darkness forever and ever if death is just a a transition a change well then that that kind of changes how horrible something is to me in this moment mm -hmm. this grief that i'm holding and you start thinking well maybe my reason of being a human being is to be here and go through these things and have right. these relationships and create these things and learn and move up. And that makes more sense than, than, than anything that then trying to make more money than the next person or trying to have more or something that, that all of a sudden doesn't have the same, you know, I mean, comfort is one thing. All of a sudden you come back with this thought of, you know, service and, mm -hmm. and I want to be the best me I can be. Didn't I come here to sell
you seem like for being a legendary rock star, like I don't see any ego with you at all. I mean, of course, there's the necessary ego that the audience wants to see. You got to be in control. You got to make us feel comfortable. But it doesn't seem like that, like all the glory goes to me. You just want to be powerful enough to do what you need to do for them in your music. Yeah. Well, there's a there's something that people call ego, especially in famous people that have gotten a certain amount of fame for entertaining or or doing or or they're just famous for something they did and ego the thing that we kind of throw and say oh you know they have such an ego is really the result of a terrible insecurity that Mm. that these people have and so what you don't see in me i mean i'm believe me i'm i've got a i I walk on stage and and i'm telling myself i'm the best there ever been you know and i'm gonna get out there and i'm and I you know, and I'm going to give these <laughs> I'm going to give these people and I'm going to come from my heart and I'm going to come from that emotion. But that's not ego. That's fun. Mm-hmm. That's that's using my emotion and feeling and thought to really create this this uh, show for people to to take that energy in. And, and an insecure person is going to deflect and it's going and it's it's. And it's going to be hollow and it doesn't last long. And I have lived long enough to see my peers come and go. Some of them, you know, mm-hmm. forever. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, I know what you, I know what you mean. At the beacon, I got to meet your lovely wife and your daughter who had just had a huge day. She just graduated, um, getting her master's in gender studies. Talk about empowering your, your daughter to, be exploring and asking questions about our existence and what our what our identity on this earth really means and how it's defined. My uh, daughter has made incredible choices in her life and it has brought her a great amount of joy. And what is her name? Bailey? Her name? Uh, Bailey, yes. Mm-hmm. She has um you know she's seen a a, a task or a or a, a dream or a goal and she you know climbs and has her moments and goes up to it and and once she has it she realizes it, it's not about the debt it's not about the piece of paper it's about the journey getting it and then she oh, yeah. puts another goal out in front of her and she climbs and this and that and she goes and she gets that and i think that generation from you know yours on down even to my uh teenagers i see you know generation z the that it, they're not about things anymore it's about what did you do how you know she loves to travel she doesn't need to live in the biggest house in the biggest place and she's she's about the experience and i right. believe if one can if one can walk their life's path and let it be about the experience you're going to have a delicious life i wanted to talk to her cuz i think a lot of questions arise from just this platform this podcast being something that i want to just have female guests on but gender is not the priority. It's just about how many ways a woman can be expressed in this industry. And it was, we kind of touched on it a little bit and she just, the fact that she's asking those questions and that she's pioneering to push forward our understanding or evolve our collective understanding of that is pretty amazing. But I think with what you're doing with the Etheridge Foundation, with what you have done for the LGBTQ community early on in your career, this just must be a second nature to you to always be 
kind of leading the way a little bit. It became clear to me that pushing away something is just going to bring it toward me. Any energy you push against draws it to you. I tried to be like, don't ask, don't tell about being gay. Yeah. And I was like, mm, you know, and the, the press wouldn't ask me and I wouldn't tell. And it was just, okay, okay. And, and things just start, you know, people start misquoting me and they started you know, doing all this. And I was like, you know, I just have to be truthful. What am I afraid of? I'm afraid people aren't going to like me for who I am. Well, then that's kind of their problem. They're going to miss out on a lot of great music, you know? And, right. and I realized, you know, and, and it wasn't about, the LGBT community. It wasn't, a, it was just about me and what's healthy for me. And so I just, I just started to be truthful. I came out and, and I saw what a great relief that was. It, oh my God. I felt better. I had more power and then I had more energy to into my career and my career soared. And then I started going, wow, this is the way to walk through and things would happen. And then when I got cancer, I was like, wow, I got to do the same thing here. I can't go hide and, and think it's shameful that I, my body finally, you know, broke from all the, the stress and heartache and stuff. You know, it's like, oh, I can't pretend that anymore. That's, you know, getting healthy is comes from inside. And so you do that. And then that light, those choices attract others and others see that and it inspires them. I've never signed up to be some sort of <laughs> all those things, beautiful things you said. Thank you very much. But you will find each, each of you will find that as you make your choices to do the best for you, you're also doing the best for so many others. That's how we help each other. That's cooperation. That's how we understand we're all connected. So then, so then I had to also, I knew in the most painful moment of my life when I lost my son, the most fierce shame and guilt coming down, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. wow, I, either I believe this or I don't. I believe that if I walk through this with honesty, with saying, wow, you know, that was a, a, a tough few years and he made some choices and yeah, some people might look at me and you should have went and saved him or something. And, and I can't, you can't save another person. Only they can. I could just die under that heap or I could come up and say, no, this is what works is speaking honestly, saying, yeah, this hurts. This is messed up. And, and, then, and then walk through it. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Melissa Etheridge, who's just so unbelievably wonderful. I met her at Love Rocks NYC back in March. Our dressing rooms were right next to each other's, and she was so welcoming and warm and open. She had her wife and her daughter in there, and she just let me right on in, which you can see she does. She's let all of us right on into her world with this wonderful conversation that we hold in this week's episode. But I just want to ask you how you're doing. It's been a pretty wild couple of weeks here in America with shootings and Supreme Court decisions. And I personally have had some loss transpire since this conversation took place and it's really nice to revisit what we talked about because she has two ideas in particular that I'm really trying to embrace which are don't 
fall into despair. Don't die under a heap of grief that's been thrown at us by life. And also walk your life in the most authentic way that you can by, by being yourself and honoring you know, what is your conscience telling you and as your personhood becomes galvanized like what does that look like and I think she's inspired so many people by doing just that uh, certainly I'm one of them and I hope that this conversation uplifts you a little bit so don't fall into despair and make sure that uh, you're taking care of yourself. Only you can be yourself, though. It sounds so simple to say, like, I just started being myself, but there were so many forces that were probably guiding you to do otherwise, like Chris Blackwell and his role in your yeah. life. And you know, I've, I've heard you speak about him so wonderfully, you know, you were in LA living in Silver Lake with your aunt for five years and, you know, as talented as you were, you couldn't get arrested and you're playing at women's bars and yeah, all these, all these label heads are coming out to the gay bars and every single one. Yeah. And totally missing it. And, and if you ask him today, Chris Blackwell will say, cause I'm like, dude, you came in, you heard four songs and you said, I want you on my label. He says, well, I was just so shocked nobody had signed you. <laughs> you right. Know? He was like, what are these people thinking of? And and he was just beautiful. Uh, Jim, he, he lived in Jamaica, this Englishman. He was just as unique and one of the last music lovers. He brought uh, Bob Marley to the world. Yeah, you know, he's just this beautiful soul that was one of the most interesting people I've ever met. But mm. um, he always wanted me to be that girl that he saw in the bar. Yeah, he's like he would say that about the first album. He made me re-record it because it wasn't it was too 80s commercial at the time. And he, he he always loved that part of me and really helped through my own insecurity in the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, everyone was so beautiful back then. You know, it was all it was all pretty um, glam. Yeah. You know, it was all about your how you looked. And, and that just scared the bejesus out of me. And I, he was very good at, at holding me to you are good enough as, as you are right now. So I didn't really go. I mean, I, I made some choices I'm a little uncomfortable with, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and we all do. I certainly have some that I'm thinking of of my own right now. <laughs> yeah. See, you know, and, you know, we grow, we learn, we go, hey, I don't want to feel that way again. So I'm not going to do that again. And, and, and I'm, I'm just now I'm able to stand on my own and go, yeah, I know how to. I know how things feel good and how to use that as my uh, guiding light and not my, oh, what are other people going to think of me? Which is hard when you're a performer, but you really have to get that out of your head. I've been in Nashville for 14 years and just the simple task of being myself and being comfortable in everything and whatever that means, it's taken a long time, but it's my favorite thing to do is watch an artist who knows who they are and who's walking the walk, who's unapologetic about it. And these all sound like you know, kind of trite, but it's, it's the key. It's the key to sustainability. I also love mm -hmm. this one quote that you said, he said, Chris, um, to you, he's like, don't have too many hits. I love that. I think that's very Dylan-esque. Yeah. Bob Dylan said the same thing because you are such a live 
charismatic, energetic performer. When I was more in the country radio world in the beginning, and I didn't have the Chris Blackwell in my life who found me in my element from the get-go. I didn't know who the hell I was. No, I would be at a concert and I'd play that one song on the radio and then the audience would scatter to the next stage at a festival. I felt just so one-dimensional. And it's been really nice to just make it about like the live concert and that experience and sharing. And I know that you did so much over the pandemic that's well-documented with Etheridge TV and everything where you kept that energy alive, but there's never going to be a time where you announce a tour and people aren't going to want to be there, even if you haven't delivered a single to radio in a long time. And I think that there's not a lot of people who can say that. If there's anything I could say to young people, young women who, uh, you know, are want to make a, a business or a living out of their own uh, creativity and you know, music. And I would say as much as you can look at the long run mm-hmm. and be, be entertaining, be someone that be someone that you would want to go see, you know, first be that first, right. first make the music that makes you really happy. Like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get on stage and do this. Yeah. And once you love it, then remember that now you're going to share this energy and to share this energy with an audience and hopefully have them love it as much as you love it and have that feeling of satisfaction and joy and release that you have. If you want to share that then with an audience and, and want them to keep coming back and I want to have that feeling that I had when I saw her, then make it about that shared energy and lead with your joy, lead with how much fun you're having. Pretty soon you'll find that you have a following that people will want to be connected to that. Whatever that, you know, there's a wide range of emotions you can, you can express, whatever it is, you know, make it feed something in people that they want to come see it over and over and then stay true to that. It's hard to exude that joy though to your audience if you're not right with yourself, so. Amen, that's, that's the key right there. It fixes everything. This is kind of a funny story in connection because I know how much you admire the boss and how much he admires you. I I also learned that like you kind of gleaned a lot of your technique by singing other people's songs and Odetta and all these Janis Joplin. Your connection with her is apparent. Mm-hmm. But I started singing with a Bruce Springsteen tribute band in my teens. And I was covering Come to My Window and I'm the only one. And that's where I was like, oh shit, I, I can, I can rock. Like you were the person who got yeah. me there. But um, yeah. up until then, you know, I hadn't been exploring those abilities and your music was something that, that brought me there. Oh, thank you. But I love your relationship with Bruce Springsteen and 
if you if you don't mind sharing like memory that you have of just how that relationship came to be. I grew up teenager in the 70s when Bruce was you know on the radio and you just you'd never heard anything like it. His truth and what he sang, the paintings he painted in your mind about these people. You know, my first real deep dive was Born to Run. I mean, he he had had a couple albums out, but they didn't play it in Kansas City. Uh, Born to Run was the first one that he paints these pictures of the city in New Jersey. And you're just you're you fall into it. It's like a great book. It was like mm -hmm. uh, and then you, you would you would hear the the whispers of what a great show he would put on. And he was this great. And he came from, you know, bar bands like I did. And, mm -hmm. and what he wants to do is have that great bar band night and that's what those songs are like he once told me i walk out on stage and i want people to think i know something that they don't and I, i've got a secret i'm going to tell you so it's that it's that, that joy that yeah that he would walk out with on stage and you're like oh man what are we going to do this is awesome well the biggest thing was for my mtv unplugged they said you know do you want to sing a duet with anyone and i said you know my favorite person i would always dreamed of is bruce springsteen but you know that's Bruce Springsteen, you know, and they said, well, we'll call you back. We'll see. And I was like, sure. And they called back the next day and said that he said yes. And it blew my mind. And and we did Thunder Road. So there's this version. You can catch it's it so on good. YouTube. Of oh, I've seen it. Him and, I, <laughs> and he sat in the, the wings and watched my whole show. And it just it blew my mind. He and I hung for a little bit, but life and children everything goes on and you know and i haven't seen him in a while but he he hasn't had a hit on the radio in many years and yet he sells out you know arenas constantly stadiums everywhere and and, and it's because people want to be with that energy and the way he makes them feel Graduation gown lies in rags at their feet. In the lonely coop for dawn, hear their engines roaring on. When you get to the porch, they're gone with the wind. So, Mary climbing. Come to my window. You wrote it overseas. You mm -hmm. were in a bit of a tumultuous relationship and you didn't think it was a hit. But then obviously you were very wrong. Luckily, you were very wrong. I want to know if there's I want to know if there's other songs in your repertoire that you were surprised by, just how they resonated with people. The test is in 10 years, am I going to want to sing this song? Am I going to really be excited about singing this song? And there's been things where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can get behind this. But and then the fans just are like, that's my favorite song ever. In my fan group, there's a whole hashtag for a song on my. Um, uh, it's called hashtag ain't that bad team ain't that bad um, because there's a song on my album from 2015 or something called uh, 
ain't that bad. And it was, I, I did this song with this rapper named Rockstar and it's really a unique song for me, but it's, it's kind of rocking and, yeah. and, and they love it. And I'm like, I, and they just went crazy over it. And there's another song on, on that album called like a preacher that, that people really love. But then my past songs, like you can sleep while I drive. Yeah. A song that was never on the charts for me, but is one of the top 10 favorite songs of, you know, everyone. So there's, there's just, and people love it for different reasons. I wrote it and, you know, it, it's about, in the end, it's about someone, I, I don't want them to leave, to go somewhere without me and, you know, be with other people. And some people take that, some people think, you know, you can sleep while I drive. It's just this really sweet, you know, which it is, you know, let's take a trip and you can sleep while I'm driving. But at the end, it's, it's kind of sad. And I always thought it was a very sad song. But people have it sung at their weddings and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, really? <laughs> it means something different to people. Come on, baby. Let's get out of this town I got a full tank of gas With the top rolled down If you won't take me with you I'll go before night is through And baby, you can sleep while I drive with all of these philanthropic causes that you have, I want to just name a few of them because, of course, we've talked about the Etheridge Foundation. You're a big proponent for environmental preservation. You wrote the mm -hmm. theme song to An Inconvenient Truth. We've talked about the uh, legislation reform that you want for medicinal solutions for opioid mm -hmm. uh, addiction. And I love this one organization that you're involved with called Gritty Pink Life. And then, of course, you lent your, your time and your music to Love Rocks NYC for God's Love We Deliver. First of all, how do you have all the time and energy to be able to propel all these causes forward? And what's the criteria for how you align with these causes? You know, there, there was a, a point where you reach a, cer a certain saturation of people asking you to do you know there's you right can, I, I could never make a, another dollar in my life and raise millions for people you know but you know I, I you have to take care of yourself first so I come from there of, of okay now now with that you know what is the ask here and most of these um just my name just just saying I support this taking a few minutes out and doing that is enough and then there's these great people who do the work Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who really get out there and do that. And then there's stuff that really, that has an immediate effect on me. You know, the, the decriminalization of, of cannabis, you know, federal mm -hmm. decriminalization and, and, and it, it affects me, you know, and, and the work I want to move forward doing and, and, uh, you know, psychedelics and any, any nature-based, uh, medicines, you mm -hmm. know, that, that is so so I will I will show up. I will spend much time because of how I feel about it personally. Uh supporting women, that's what Gritty Pink is, is supporting yeah. women in the industry, not only not only uh creatives, but um, you know, from production and and all uh, you know, all kind of that. And and it's great because it's been very lonely for a long time. You know, there's there's a lot of us on stage, but once you step off stage, it used to all just be guys in every aspect of the music business. Right. And it, it, it's it been one of the last industries to really 
start any equity, you know, equity and um, there things like this are, are helping with that. The last video I did for As Cool As You Try off my new album, uh, One Way Out, it uh, I said, OK, we're going to do a video, but I want every single person to be a woman on it. I want you to go out and find women to do these jobs, because just this one video will get you know one person, one gaffer, one one lighting person to then be able to get another job because they have the experience that that was always the it was you know you can't get credit if you don't have credit and you know right. it's like, well they don't have experience well you have to give them experience that's a vicious cycle that we need to break yeah. right <laughs> yeah it was one of the most well run smooth amazing videos that i've done <laughs> ever it was really huh. something <laughs> because i you know it, there's a there's a it's just our, it's a female nature in the in yeah in nature to uh cooperate we understand how much power comes from cooperation instead right. of competition and we're just going to come from that we just are because we know that's really the way to get ahead mm -hmm. otherwise you just we're just going to tear each other down you gotta you gotta cooperate and move forward i like to finish uh, on a positive note although this has all been positive your favorite part about being a woman in the industry favorite part is inspiring other women yeah in many ways but uh you know in just that that exchange of energy that feeling yeah that i mean i, I walk onto stage and, and you just hear all these screaming and it's like i love that you know it's it's i love that women can express anything they want in my concert so i think that's my favorite part Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose, produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, and Kirsten Cluthy, with production assistance from Grace Romer and Kip Young. Edited by Matt Dwyer, music by Maggie Rose, graphics by Mark Dowd. Thank you so much for listening. And to close out this episode, here's the title track from Melissa Etheridge's new album, One Way Out.
Osiris. <laughs> <laughs>